Welcome to Highway Diary. I'm your host, Eric Hollerbach. This is episode 352 with Roderick McDaniel. Woo! What up? <laughs> Man, we are in a American Legion right now. Yes. We're about to uh, do an open mic. There's a little noise pollution. There's an AC buzzing behind us. I hope you can hear this. Um, so, you grew up in New Orleans. Yes. I'll wait. Man, seriously, uh, my dad worked for Social Security. Okay. okay. And so, when he went to work for Social Security... Um, we traveled a lot. And so we were in Metairie, we were in Kenner, we were in Destrehan. We lived all down there and did that forever. Um, and then at about fourth grade, I moved away. And then I moved up to Monroe, Louisiana, which is, you know, if you've ever watched Duck Dynasty, <laughs> across the river from West Monroe. Yeah, Duck yeah. Dynasty is West Monroe. I lived in Monroe. So it gives you an idea what my high school life was like. Uh-huh. The kind of people I was surrounded by. A lot by. of camo guys. A lot. lot of camo guys. Camo guys were there in like full force. I know I shut this whole thing down. Do you hear that? Oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> hey, you're a popular guy. You get messages on your Instagram. Yeah, no, man. It can't be that popular. I thought it was a bill collector. <laughs> it's like it's... They want their money, Mr. McDaniel. Please. <laughs> Please pay us. Is this a booking? Oh, no. This is something I've been trying to avoid. Yeah. It's Capital One. <laughs> what's in my wallet? Not your payment. That's what's in there. So you grew up in the swamps. Yes. You, yeah. I uh, I actually loved Monroe because I grew up there from the time I was in fourth grade to I graduated high school. And uh, I was surrounded by rednecks. Like guys you would call rednecks if you met them. Country They're, bumpkins. Yeah, these guys are, are pure rednecks, beer drinking, party boys. Uh, some Cajuns, a few a few Cajuns that I had real close friendships with. And we were, But it was actually what shaped me to be able to go into any room. Like I go, last year when I was touring, it was a weird thing, man. I learned this term on the road where people talked about rooms as, as political affiliations. It's red, it's blue, it's purple. And I played... A lot of red rooms. Yeah. Like where I would be, I get to the city, and I would see no black people when I get to this city, and there would be no black people on the show, and I was gonna headline this thing, and I look out to the room, and it's like everybody in here voted for Trump. Yeah. And I gotta entertain them. Yeah. And uh, I played a lot of red rooms, and I did really well in that, man. But it was, I, I give that growing up in Louisiana around that diverse background of people made me be able to go into any room and feel like yeah, I can conversate with this whole room, meet them where they are, and we're going to have a good time. It's funny because you and me, I feel like we're preliminary, like I see you're, like we've been Facebook friends for a while, so I always see yeah. your posters popping up, and I'm like, oh, and then it wasn't until the last show at the Romo Room that I saw you perform, but I was like really depressed because the Romo Room has been so good to me, and I played so many shows there showcases i was at the open mic all the time and so when that closed down and i did my last performance there i was like ugh, now what you know because also just they got good parking at the romo room the most amazing parking, and like it it was shaded so you go in that thing and i should have transitioned more to going after cap city but um i put out three stand-up specials in 2020 and I'm just in a weird headspace now where the Cap City had like a funniest person contest and it was like 30 bucks to enter. And it's mm-hmm. like, is my, are my specials worth garbage? My specials are dog food or they're just like expired anchovies? 
Okay, and the, the, all the time I put in the Romo room, that's like expired anchovies. And so now I gotta pay $30 to impress you. Mr. Johnny come lately. Okay, you were down for two years. You used to have a, one on Airport Boulevard, Cap City or whatever. Yeah. They, they, that's just uh, expired anchovies. Now I gotta pay 30 bucks. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's like the Game of Thrones, I'm like, what, what's a joke worth? Bro, I'm gonna tell you, I have two albums out, right? And I self-produce both, and they're, they're on all streaming services. Live at the 806, and mind your business. Yes. 2010, 2021. Yes, and neither one of them means anything to any festival. Like, I could put it on the thing and say, hey, yeah, I'm yeah, applying yeah. for your festival. But, like, nobody was beating down the door like, hey, we got to have you. I know. And it's, and it's, it's man, it, comedy is like the most humbling thing. Yeah. Because you'd be like, I just did something that I can tell other people about and they will be impressed. Yeah. Big comedy festivals and club owners would be like, and? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> what you going to do next? I know. I, I swear to God, I thought when I put them on YouTube, Dr. Show Business was going to get on a private jet with, you know, beautiful women. Yes. All the drugs, you know, and like a, a, a contract. And then they're going to be juggling my balls going, what do you want? And none of that. I mean, then they're like, oh, Cap City, you're the funniest, 30 bucks. What? Yeah. You know? And it's just like, is there anything? Now, I know it's very desirable lifestyle to be a comedian. Um, I've been pursuing it since I was like 16. I even lied. Was it two nights ago? We saw each other at the Creek in the Cave, and they're like, oh, uh, your mom's favorite, or your your booker's favorite comic showcase. And you got two minutes of comedy, or three minutes. If you went over and you were played off, you were supposed to be disqualified. I saw two people do that, neither of them were disqualified. So I kept mine tight to a two minutes. I got three laughs in two minutes. I was graded a 6.5 out of 10. Whatever. My point, but yeah, you do two minutes of comedy and they judge you for seven minutes. Yes. It's I, like. Hey, look, I came in second. And I, Did you? I came in second. I got to second, and I got beat by uh, Dylan Carino and Chris Breckel, and they killed. I'm not even going to deny yeah, it. Yeah, they yeah. devastating sets, man. They were amazing. Um, so I, I kind of took it like when I did it, I was more focused on the feedback they gave me and what they liked about my sets. And they both said the same thing. I would like to see you do an hour. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, book me and I will go do that hour wherever you want yeah, you know, yeah I yeah. can do the hour for you but it was a it was definitely a fun contest for me but I just kind of watched it like what? there's a lot of heavy hitters in this room like yeah. Ashley Overton Aaron Cheatham um, you know uh, Ava Smart when I'm looking at that kind of people that were hanging out there and I'm like oh bro these are all there's some killers yeah. and then I saw the bucket it's like they were going in the, in the bucket. bucket, and I was looking at who was putting their names in the bucket, and I was like, "Oh, these are all killers. Yeah. We're all like, do we all need the three? I wasn't even thinking about the money. I didn't know money was at hand until the show started, and somebody said, "Oh yeah, you're competing for three hundred bucks." And I went, "Oh, we are. I just wanted to go in front of the bookers. Yeah, I yeah, really yeah. all I thought we were doing was going in front of bookers. Yeah, yeah. Then they told me about the money, and I went, "Oh, the money would be nice, but I didn't know about the money. Yeah." I just want to get booked. I need the bookings. Because if you put me on the road and put me out of out of Austin, I'll make the money. 
I can make that three hundred dollars. I just got to get out of here to go get that three hundred. Right, right. And so yeah, it was, it was a weird concept. It was really weird. I enjoyed it, but it was just. I think I enjoyed hanging out with like you and I were hanging out before the show. Josh Castro and I were hanging out before the show. Yeah. I enjoyed that more than anything. Yeah. Is because I don't go to open mics. I don't. I, yeah. I know. I After just, two albums, <laughs> it's like, can I have guest spots? Like, book me. Yeah. I That's why I was like so thrilled when I was. I send you a message and you're like, gotcha. And I was like, like, hey, how about we meet here? You're like, gotcha. I was like, does that mean yes? And as soon as you said yes, I go, hell yeah. Because yeah, that's what I'm, I know. I want people to reach out to me and go, I want you to show up here to do my podcast. Of course I would do that every time. Heck yeah. No, man, I do. Well, here's what I did. And this is a weird, I will give y'all my, my secret to how I did it. For two years straight, I toured nothing but anime conventions. Yeah. And that was it. Just me and my friends. And we had a podcast that we did that was, uh, we were all working in the video game industry. And so then we did, uh, we were going to anime conventions and gaming conventions, comic book conventions. And we were interviewing voice actors and comic book yeah, artists. Yeah. And we did that for years, The man. Team Lift podcast. Yes. And we did, man, it got to the point that it actually got picked up. It went international. We had uh, a solid fan base in Japan and in South Korea. We had fans that were listening to the show all around the world. And then we, uh, we kind of imploded. <laughs> Like all good things, we imploded on ourselves. The weight of your own ego. Yeah. It was one of those <laughs> you like, started to be like, I ordered green M&M's for my green room. You started to be a diva. I, I wanted to. I never did, man. I was like, y'all got to have just the, the finest of waifu pillows in my bed. <laughs> but no, what happened was like, what this about isn't cashmere? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it away. Yeah, my face. <laughs> uh, we, he got married. His wife, he's her primary caregiver. She was sick. We all were like, you did the right thing. Go take care of your wife. Right, right. Then my other buddy kind of fell into the corporate American trap and then he was a manager and he moved up. Then the other buddy moved up at the company. We were both at EA and he moved up and then it was just me and I was like, I don't want to do the show by myself. Yeah, yeah. I did it. Y'all made me come to the show. Y'all made me come on this and now all three of y'all are gone and they yeah. were just kind of like, yeah, we got to do it again and I was like, oh, I'm not doing this by myself. I'm just not going to do it. So we just quit recording episodes. We never came out and officially said, oh, we're done. We just quit. So what is the team lift? What does that mean? Is that lift you up by your bootstraps? Is that lift up your community? No. It was a... My buddy was trying to figure out a name for the podcast because we were just going to talk about games and be salty bastards. And uh, he was looking at a refrigerator delivery to his house. And it said, use caution, team lift. And it had the two guys holding up the little box in the middle. And he came to us and went, here's our emblem and here's the name of the podcast. And we were like, is that the picture on the side of your refrigerator box? And we, yeah, we were just like, okay. <laughs> we're just going to go with that. Nobody had anything better. So right, right, right. And so that's what happened. Anime conventions booked us for years to come in and be a press team. And then all of a sudden it got out, oh, Roderick does stand-up comedy also, and he has albums out. And we talked about it on the show every now and then. Uh, I would tell these weird road stories every now and then. But they finally were like, hey, would you like to come to this anime convention as a guest and be paid? And would you like to host the anime convention? Or, hey, would you like to come here and do stand-up comedy at this anime convention? And then that's when it started becoming like, Oh, this is 
there's money in this. This could be a job. Right, could, right. And so I was doing that for two years, and I just kind of forgot stand-up. Like, not really forgot it, just forgot, hey, you probably want to go to clubs. Nobody outside of anime conventions knows you. So it's kind of weird coming back, man, you know, and being here and, and just I'm going to clubs, and it feels like most of Austin has no idea who I am. And I love that because it feels like I'm always playing with house money when I get to the mic. Because you can kind of like do jokes from your albums or, you know, it's like, Nobody hell, they, they, why not? They've never heard it. And it's like, I can do all this stuff that I did at the anime conventions. And it's like, I'm right, doing right. these jokes and nobody knows any yeah. of this material. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, oh, yeah, this is... Now I'm starting to get, you know, it's sad because more people know me. So now I have that reputation when I go to the mic, they know kind of what they're expecting. But man, those first couple of days when I was really coming back out of it, like especially during the pandemic, and, and really going out and doing shows, nobody had any idea who I was or what I was capable of. It's just, there's some old dude on the scene that's gonna <laughs> tell jokes, hope he's you know, not racist and, and sexist. And I was like, oh, I'm all those things, but I'm gonna make you laugh. <laughs> I'm a terrible human being, but you're going to love it. I grew up with country bumpkins. What do you expect? Yeah. I am super racist and sexist. Come <laughs> listen to this. Yeah. Um, so, all right. You mentioned some things. I want to follow a question. Okay. EA Sports. You just you worked for EA? Yes. The, and what, were you uh, an animator? Were you a programmer? Like, what oh, did no, you man. I, start, I was there with them for six years, and I took the worst job they had, which was... Uh, the entry-level customer service job, right? And it was like, I, when I took the job, I wasn't on the phone, I was doing international chat, which meant if you were in Saudi Arabia or Russia, anywhere our games were, and you could speak English, you could chat with me, and I could fix your game through chat. Hey, what's your problem, what's going on? Let me pull up your account, let's take a look, see if we can get this off. And then, uh, as the company started kind of changing, they were like, you're really a personable person and you're really funny. We think you should go to phones when we start doing phone service here and phone support. And I did that and I would get people that were pissed off. They'd come in cursing and screaming and I would have them laughing uncontrollably by the end of the call and then I'd fix the problem while they were laughing. And so I was always distracting them with jokes, fixing stuff. Yeah. And they kept going, Hey, you did really well in this department. Let's move you to this department. So by the time it was over, I had climbed all the way up to like their technical support team, which was like, this is the top of your customer service, okay? Which meant if you had a game and it didn't matter what console or on PC or a mobile phone or tablet, if you had a problem in that game, I had all the knowledge of account, security accounts, recovery, plus all tech support, I just fix your accounts, fix your problems. And then I was bored with that. I said, I can't do customer service for the rest of my life. Even though you're paying me really good, I don't want to do this. And then I went to a team called X-Labs. And that was what really got me. We built the AI. And the AI took chats. And the chat, the AI bot that took the chats was so human-like. It would throw people off. Like, we would tell you, hey, if you don't want to wait for an actual person, you can talk to our AI bot. And if you were to say curse words to the AI bot, the AI had learned to pick up on certain curse words in like 56 different languages. And it would say, hey, there's no need for harsh language. And people would apologize to this AI we had built. And I just thought, 
this is so cool. This is like, I love this job. And then when I finished, I was working in user acceptance testing. So like FIFA, you know how you play online in FIFA and you're making, I pulled this pack, I did these coins, I played these matches. I was the guy that made sure all that worked on the back end in user acceptance testing. And I, I got, I, I've had some girlfriends who are super heated at me uh -huh. and like, you know, but you're emotional because it's like, but I just took you out last night. I spent all my paycheck on this. And like, you know, I start to like argue back. I wonder if like, if I could have just gone into like an isolation booth and just like, look, just talk to me. And I'm playing video games on the inside. And then the AI bat is like, you don't have to use harsh language like that. That's we can find common ground. It's like you argue with this crazy lady. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? It's beautiful. Because <laughs> actually, the AI, the way it would do stuff, with I used it in relationships. <laughs> it would say things <laughs> right, like, right. A, you know, you're yelling right now. It's making it very difficult for us to communicate. And I don't feel like you're going to uh. hear what I'm saying from my heart. And I said that to a woman. And this woman was like bamboozled. She did not know how to come back to that. Right. And I went... Well, don't tell me our AI overlords aren't the best. <laughs> uh, there's a dark side, though. If you watch a 2001 Space Odyssey, you, you yeah. know, when you let it be the commander of the ship, slowly it's just going to start killing all the astronauts. But anyway, yeah. could happen. It could happen. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. This is a great side. <laughs> so then, okay. So, after, so what happened at the end? It, uh, the AI robot, it kind of, uh, did it replace you at EA? Or? No, what happened was I was, I'd been with him, you know, seven years, six years, somewhere in there. And uh, it was, I want to say the start of 2019, I was kind of like, I've moved up and I've done everything. And I went to my evaluation and they told me, we got to find you a new department in this company because you've maxed out your pay we can only pay you a nickel more, even if you got max scores on your next evaluation. And at the start of 2019, when they said that to me, I was like, if I don't have something new by January 2020, and I gave myself, to, I think, November. I want to say it was November. If they didn't have a new position for me in 20, by November of 2019, I was going to turn in a two-week notice. I knew I was going to do it. And I was just going to start saving up money in 2019 to cover all my expenses. And I was going to go full-time, stand-up comedy. Yeah, yeah. I just set this plan in motion. And I just kind of was like, worst-case scenario, I find a new job, and then I'll use all this money I saved up to go on a vacation, and I'm done with comedy. It did not work out like that. I saved up the money. The new position never opened. We kind of were going through some budget fluctuations at the time. And I was just like, all right, cool. I'm going to... Start making those calls. Hey, by March of 2020, I want to hit the road. I was calling up friends, calling up comics, calling up clubs. I built a little small tour. And then in December, I told them my last day will be here in January. Told my boss about it. Uh, they were like, well, you're on this program. I was on this, like, detached to this team there. And the user assessed us testing. And they were like, you're going to be detached to this team to January. And I said, well, when is my last day on this team? And they told me, and I went... That'll be my last day at the company if there's no other jobs. If you don't find something else for me, I'm leaving that day. That'll be my final day. And it never happened. And I left. And I was cool. I was like, I got six months worth of reserve put up. Yeah. I'm going to go tell jokes. Yeah. And I'm going to just go hard to the paint and take some shitty gigs for six months. And then that'll help me like get my name back out there on, on the national circuit and I can tour again. 
you know, and I knew I was going to be at the D-list, C-list tours, you know, but I'm not going to be opening for Chappelle, but I'll be out there able to headline some smaller tier clubs, and that was what I was wanting to do, and uh, that stupid pandemic showed up. Uh, it, it, it I ended up doing like USO shows and drive-ins. Yeah, it was it, it wrecked it, but it was like it was the weirdest thing because I did a USO show for uh, you know Pothead Champ Max. It's always that dude Max is always at the Creek in the Cave. He's a vet. He looks like he fought for Al Qaeda. Max, uh, what's his last name? Why can't I think of Max's last name? Pothead Max. You it doesn't know, narrow it down. Yeah, I know. That really. If you're like, oh no, that comic is a pothead. You know that guy. Yeah, like, what? Oh, so many of them. Yeah, but Max is like, dude, he's just this cut little pothead dude with a long, scraggly beard and mustache. And man, I, I, if I show you a picture of him, you'll go, oh, that dude. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. skateboard all the time. Okay. And he was always at the creek, and he put a show together for the USO. And on that show was Junebug from Killeen. Um, I think Eric Patton may have been there. Uh, Dean Stanfield, Spencer Cavins. It was like all these guys that you that are regular names in Austin now. Yeah, they were on that one showcase with me. It was every guy now that's a mover and shaker was on this one showcase, and I was laughing. Nobody knew me, and I was like, Max knew me, and I was like, Okay, where am I going in this? He went, Oh, you're going to close it out. And they're all kind of looking at me like, why is this dude closing it out? Who is this dude? Some new guy that just got here? And I was like, this is beautiful. Nobody. Did. And so yeah. I said, I just went in and said, I'm just going to vent, you know. I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to say some stuff that probably is going to get me canceled, but I don't care. I'm about to vent. And I went out and did the show, and it hit. And then next thing I know, everybody was like, hey, you want to come do our showcase? You want to come do our showcase? And that was pretty much my welcoming back into the Austin comedy scene. Was Max hooked up a USO show, and I got to come in and, and showcase in front of everybody. Uh, Ozzy Moon was there. I remember that was the first time I met Ozzy was at that show. So it was it was a fun show, man. But it was just one of those things where it was like, this is comedy. This is really how weird comedy is. When you think I go through all this crap to try to get a name out, nobody knows me. And, I'm just going to hit the luck of the draw on this one showcase. It is so fascinating. Um, I had Jimmy Schubert on my podcast, and uh, we were saying that it's fascinating how small the community gets when something like a pandemic happens. Yeah. Or like New Orleans gets hit by a tornado. But then I show up to a comedy show, and there's DC Paul, Geneva Joy, and you know what I mean? Like yeah. my friend, And I'm like, oh, a fucking pandemic's not taking the real motherfuckers out. A fucking tornado's not taking the real motherfuckers no. down. It's like there are like these soldiers that have like I don't know if I uh, have a uh, a deal with the the devil and blood or I don't know if it, but I am like driven where it's like no this is my comedy's my religion. It's not just like some bullshit that I do sometimes. You have to be completely insane. You put out a, an album. Uh, live at the 806 in the Amarillo area in 2010, and mind your business, yes. in 2021, uh, 11 years apart, you're doing the same shit. Yeah, man, it was, it was weird. That album, mind your business, is definitely my pandemic album because I wrote it in the like I was maximum depressed. I was going yeah, through yeah. a fit of depression. I was frustrated the pandemic, and so a lot of that album is. I didn't want to be an old grouchy black guy. 
I didn't want to be Carlin and be grouchy. It just came across that a lot of the stuff that I was watching on TV happened because people can't mind their damn business. I don't care if you're trans, none of my business. I don't care if you're gay, none of my business. I don't care if you believe in, in the KKK. As long as you're not in my front yard trying to burn the cross, you get to live, none of my business. So I just put an album out where I said all this crazy stuff and people listened to it and it caught on. And it was like this kind of a call to arms, but it was really my frustration of like, look, if I don't say this stuff, I'm gonna off myself. Uh, but I, here's what you don't know about me, Roderick, is I'm trans everything, okay? I'm a, I'm a, a ice skater from Thailand. I'm trans, I'm a, a possum that burrs kangaroos. I'm trans everything. <laughs> and if you say that's not true, you're pressing me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't get the performative nature of it. It's like, no, it's like, you know how, um, like, a, what's it called? An insect doctor of insects? What's that called? Oh, it's entomologist. Entomologist, right? They'll find a new moth, and they'll put it on a pin board, right? And it's like, it, it, and I find that some people in the neo-performative uh, community are like, I'm a new kind of victim. See, I'm a trans-Eskimo who, uh, you know what I mean? It's like, no, uh, see, I'm a new one on a pinboard. So I've justified my existence with my novel victimhood. I think that's part of the instinct is like justifying your, you know? My dad, I'm a, here's who messed me up. I grew up with an old school black dad, Vietnam vet. He was a provost investigator for the US Army in the military, in, during Vietnam. So this guy, when I was a kid, I told him I had a teacher that was like, oh, this teacher doesn't like me because I'm black. And I remember him looking at me and going, do you want to use that one this time? I said, what? And he was like, I'm only going to let you use that excuse once in life. You're in fourth grade. Are you wanting to use that one now or do you want to wait? And I was like, <laughs> what? He said, you're going to meet some people that are going to hate you because you're black. So I'm only going to let you use that excuse once. So you better figure out how to get past this one. He said, so if you know every time you talk in this class, she's going to kick your ass. If you know she's going to grade your test harder than anybody, you better be better than everybody in there. Because I'm only going to let you use the excuse one time in life. So what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'm going to hold on to it. I literally remember telling this man, I want to hold on. I might really need some I asshole. I need my, my uh, black credit card. I want this one excuse card <laughs> and I'm saving it. My so Amex black. <laughs> it only has one punch, but it's good for I everything. You need it for this one thing. So... Uh, and it kind of took, like, he took that whole thing about where I could be the victim away. It wasn't, it wasn't yes. an option. You don't, you don't have an option to be a victim. Okay, they don't like you because you're black, so you still okay, they gotta like get you through it. Okay, they like you because you're black. Okay. Yeah. Oh, they didn't like you because you were fat. Don't care. How are you gonna get through it? So he took away anything that we could have used to say I'm a victim. He refused to let us use the victim cards. Yeah. And when you don't have the victim card and you can't blame everybody for your situation because you're the victim or you're the minority, then you have to figure out, well, how the fuck am I going to get on the other side of this? And that's, it kind of is how I've always, like in the back of my head, I would love to be, hey, I'm old, I'm black, uh, I'm pre-diabetic, I can figure something, I'm a vet, I'll figure something out. And I don't get to use any of those victim cards, man, because this dude basically raised me and trained us to never, 
never use your victim card. And I faced some stuff that was weird, like, okay, I think that may have really been racism. Okay, I think they may have really, okay, how do we get on the other side of it? It's always my next. So it's, it's kind of weird, and I don't knock people, man, like, you know, I got friends in the trans community, and I listen to some of the stuff that, where they tell me some weird shit. They, they tell me some horror stories, and I'll sit there and go, wait, what? You know, what did you say? Oh, God, okay. But at the same time, I do notice that a lot of my friends, the, the people I'm closest to, doesn't matter what community they come from, they pretty much don't use the victim card. They just figured out, hey, this shit sucks, here's the system. How do we get on the other side of it? And I tend to lock in with those people from different communities that have that. How do we get on the other side of this right, bullshit? Right, right. And, and, and man, that, does, that seems to be a dying trait among people. My dad, my dad did the same thing where it's like, I, I remember in middle school, it's like, I didn't like this teacher. And then I described this teacher's personality. And I was like, my personality is like this. This teacher's personality like this. And then he goes, okay, well, you just described like the game of Monopoly. Win. You know the pieces. You know if you, if you input this into this teacher, it's going to be a negative input. So put positive inputs and manipulator, basically. What do you need from this person? A good grade? Okay, play that game. What do you do? This person hates you already? Okay, how can you force this person against their will to give you a good grade? Play that game. That's my brother's always, show me the game we're playing and tell me the rules and I will beat you. So I described all the rules in a a scenario where it's like, I can't do anything because they don't like me because these are the rules. He goes, you just described all the rules, play the game. Play the fucking game. <laughs> Get over it, man. Because there's everybody's going to hate. Even in comedy, which I thought, and I was naive as hell. I thought the longer I'm in comedy, the bigger my circle is going to get. I really thought that, like, oh, my circle's going to be huge when I get into right, comedy. Right, right. And it is not that huge, man. There's a lot of people out there dealing with demons, and sometimes they're demons themselves. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, who, who just said that? <laughs> um... Let's talk about your at the creek in the cave the other day. Yes. You had a great joke. A black man married a Mexican lady. You had some kids. Yes. And they were called what? I called them <laughs> the porch chihuahuas. Is it? Am I hallucinating or did one of the judges say chihuahua monkey? Chihuahua monkey. So, yeah, I have this joke basically is where I, I thought of all the racist shit my kid could be called. So, Blexicans, Mexilex, Spiggers. They, they go through this whole, it's the most racist joke you will hear anywhere, and it's always a black guy telling it. And uh, I tell this joke about my mixed kids, and I go down the list, and when she was coming back, she was like... I like that joke about the chihuahua, chihuahua monkey, and it's like, oh, that's a Freudian slip that just showed that you're racist. Yeah, I mean, she said it, I was like... I, I was watching, okay, one of my favorite rooms on Reddit is unintentionally racist, unintentional right, right, right. racism. So I'm watching it happen on the front row, and it's just like she's digging this weird hole for herself, and you can see her trying to get out of it. And, and I'm losing, I don't know if it, like uh, Josh Castro said, your face was laughing, and then she says, Chihuahua monkeys, and you go, you got <laughs> shocked, and you laughed harder. <laughs> and I was like, I'm watching a meltdown on this front row. It that was, was a pretty rough Freudian slip. Oh, dude. It was, and I think everybody else was shocked. By, and then, did you see the second round when I came out? No. I After I got a 6'5", and, you know, 
Dr. Show Business showed up in a private jet, and then he, uh, I got out of there. He wished it would. When I came out in the second round, I actually said, hey, I'm going to change my stage name to Chihuahua Monkeys. I was just, <laughs> I'm not letting that go, and everybody in the room lost their shit, because I was like, yeah. I'm going to take that and keep that. That's not, that doesn't die with you, lady. This is, I'm bringing that back in the second round. It was, round. that happened, I got a rough grade. Two people were disqualified because they were played off, and they got like eight fives and nine fives. I go, okay, maybe it's sour grapes for me. I have a high opinion of myself, but when I was like, what are the rules? You play by the rules, and you did not get compensated for playing by the rules. You know what I'm saying? So that's when I was like, like in two minutes, I got three big laughs. But my, it was like set up, set up, set up, set up, set up, punch, laugh. And then they were like, you were too wordy. Ugh. Anyway, I got I, that. That's such a weird thing to say about comedy. And man. it's like two minutes of comedy, and it was six minutes of joke. I'm the wordy one. What do you mean? What, six minutes of fucking notes? <laughs> yeah. Whatever. I don't know. I just felt like they, it was like they were bending the rules, and the people that were uh, getting disqualified were more fringe minority type. One of my friends, I asked her, why did you run the light? You. You yeah. had it. Your scores were amazing. Uh, she was going to another show. She said, hey, i got to go to another show, and I'm not going to get to come back. So there's no sense in me winning this or going to the next round knowing that I have to go to this right. other show and I'm not coming back. I'm just taking a position from somebody. So she intentionally went out there and she ran did. over so she would be disqualified so she could leave. Uh, okay. And I, I gave her credit for that. I thought, that's dope. That's 5D chess. <laughs> that's, that's dope, but she really... You had this in the bag had you wanted it. It was yours. Um, God, I want to gossip about some things that I learned last the other day, but I, I will Don't do it. Save it for after. <laughs> um, so what was your... I know this sounds like... Uh, this is a cheesy question I ask a lot of people. Okay. What was your best night of comedy? What was your worst night of comedy? Let's start with the best. Best, 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 best. Best. Man, there's so many good ones, man. I, I'm going to say this. Most recent best would have been when I recorded uh, Mind Your Business that night at uh, Barrels and Amps in Georgetown on uh, Dean and Spencer show. Yeah. That was a magical night. Just like, everything worked out. Every, we only did one take. I only yeah. set it up for one. Like I put myself under the pressure that every one of my albums, I never do multiple recordings. It is a one take, one shot. I have to nail every mark on this album. Yeah. Because that's all we're going to do. And if I screw it up, then that album never gets to come out. It's screwed up. And so um, I went out there. Everything went in one take. All the jokes landed. But looking at the back and seeing the community of comedians that were there to show love and support me. Like one of my dearest friends, Gina Hyena, was there. She was in the back. She watched the recording. And Ben Horn was there. It was a lot of people. Yeah, I like Ben Horn. Yeah, a lot of people I love and care about, man, showed up for that recording. And Ben was, he he brought me out, you know, he he announced me. And what I did on that album is everybody who I had worked with through the pandemic up to that recording, if I shared a stage with you, your name went in the credits. I didn't tell them that I was going to put their names in the credits. But I just, like, it was this snapshot of, of this whole thing I went through in 2020 it's like to get there. like these are your colleagues who like either said, 
hey, uh, this attack for this, or like, or just watching them and, and yes. loving each other. And, and we were all on shows together, so every single one of them got their name in those credits because of that. So it was a perfect night. It was awesome. What was the worst night? Uh, you have any of those ones where you, you bomb in front of your family, you buy fried chicken on the way home, you're throwing the chicken bones out crying. I, yeah, I have many of those. Uh, <laughs> I was, You're dipping the chicken wings in ice cream yeah, in I'm, the bathtub. I'm an emotional ah. unit holding on to a toaster. Like, <laughs> just going to finish these wings and this toaster's joining me in this shower. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say this. The one that hurt me probably the most recently was uh, when I did the San Diego Comedy Festival. And I made it to the semifinals. And we were battling to get to the finals. And it was a Zoom. It was going to be on Zoom, that final battle. And I had an idea what jokes to do. And I, I second-guessed myself, and I did a totally different set, and I lost. And I was sick for weeks behind that one. And it was like, in my head, friends from all around the country had tuned in and bought tickets to watch it. My aunt and uncle were watching it. Yeah. It was family, and everybody was on there watching that one. And I bombed, and I felt like I let everybody And your down. higher voice is, is like a whisper from the angel. Do these jokes. Yeah. And then you're like, that's too new. Just quiet. I'm a professional. Let me go to tried and true. Do the new stuff. No, I won't. Yeah. And then you, you're like... I bombed. You bombed. I felt like I bombed. But the thing that happened out of it was I made so many connections with other comics that were like, that was a dope set. You like, I'm surprised you didn't make it. And it was cool hearing that vindication from them, but it was just like, I didn't do the jokes I knew I should have done. Yeah. And because I didn't do those jokes, I felt like, you kind of sabotaged yourself, buddy. You sabotaged yourself. You getting, I was sick. I was sick behind that one for days. Getting whisper from your angel, and your, your guardian angel is like, let's, let's give him like a, a bad flu. Like, yeah, just let I'm him sleep this one off. Let him sleep it off. <laughs> he needs the break. We both do. Yeah, I was, I was sick for so long behind that show. And then my friends were like, my friends don't get comedy. Like, you, you got friends like this. They, they love you, and they love your material. Yeah. But they don't know what you go through mentally to get that material to the state point where you do it on stage. And some of my buddies are, like, hardcore comedy fanatics. And so they were like, they were analyzing it. You know, this joke hit quality. Uh, the guy that beat you kind of hacky because he did you know they were breaking down everybody and also your second joke not your strongest but you could have put this one in there and did that why didn't you do this and it was just like bro y'all are not helping me but i understand you're right everything you're saying i've already thought <laughs> my, my least favorite note i've got from a normie person who didn't know anything about comedy was just like just let it go just let the words fly just like free spirit it's like yeah just run around the woods naked and like jokes will just happen it's like no are you out of your mind i have jokes i prepare i write them i i rehearse them i say them and if i'm in my head i'm thinking of my next joke yes just you could do anything just just let your voice be free i built a whole lineup these jokes are structured to go in a certain pattern for for maximum enjoyment for the crowd and i get that man where they're like you should just do mushrooms and let the universe come to you. Right. And I'm like, I am not the guy you want to give mushrooms to on stage because that is not going to be, it's going to be hilarious for y'all and I'll never get booked again. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, there's going to be 
some kind of fire hazard, there's going to be a, not a good situation. But it's like, um, call me a Republican, but I like a painting where I can see what's going on. I don't like that Jackson Pollock throw the paint at a yeah. ball type of bullshit. Oh, there's a macaroni. Like, I don't respect a painter who goes through painting school and this and that just to fart on a canvas. Yeah, it's like, do be better than me. I could have done that. Yeah, be better than me. It, it's uh, it's weird, man. It's like they're always like, yeah, just no. Now I do. I will say this: in the last couple of years, the older I've got, I don't go in as structured as I used to. Like I used to rehearse it down to the. But if you have premise, 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 and then you kind of like talk around it, that's a that's a certain style. That's like bullet points, but it's just like just let it go. I'm better off the dome. It's like okay. Well, I've only met one person, maybe two in my life that I know could go into any comedy club. No, do, does not write. This guy told me him time, I've never written a joke. I just walk in, grab the mic, and go. I and think they would be better if they wrote. I think whatever level they are, let's say 100. If he's an 80, no writing, I think he would be 87, 92 with a, with a pen. He actually said that to me. He wanted me to sit down with him and help him build structure and write. And... I thought about it, but I was watching it, and I kept thinking, I don't know if I'm the guy you want to do that, man, because I like what you do, but you, that's that's a God-given talent. That's not anything. Nobody else is going to go up there and do that. I yeah. can't do that. You know, even Chappelle doesn't do that. Chappelle goes in with a idea, and he has things that he's going. Every one of his things, you can tell, he is taking us on a journey to lead us to a point. That was built. Carl, it was built prior yeah. Pryor sometimes said things that I just thought, like him and Dangerfield both were the only two that I looked at and said, hmm, they're probably going to say something from the top of their head and it's going to be funnier than 90% of the shit anybody else is going to say. I mean, it is a skill set too, and there is timing and storytelling, but yeah. uh, I just, uh, you know what, I want to go check on the list, because we're yes. kind of getting close, so I want to like, uh, we're, we're early, so we should get on the list if we can. Heck yeah, no, I, right. I think you're right. Let's take a little break. We took time off to gossip. We took time off to try to find the list. There's no list tonight, but uh, hey, you know, what, what are you going to do? <laughs> We're just chasing Domingo around uh, Texas. Um, speaking of which, you have a show with Domingo McKnight. It's, you're, you're raising money yes. for scholarships, college scholarships for people in Bastrop, Texas. It's yes. going to be at 1408 Chestnut Street, July 23rd. Tickets are $100 each, but it's going to college scholarship yes yeah, they have a uh, man there is a great organization and domingo hooked this whole thing up with them and they were just uh they, they kind of hooked up they wanted to do comedy and the ticket sales when they said hey we're bringing in stand-up comedians really we they're going to raise a lot of money i can't wait to hear what the final number is going to be but yeah i'll be there next saturday uh doing that show with him First of probably many, because I never know with Domingo. I told you, he's like, where's Waldo? You never know where he's going to pop up or what he's going to have next for you. So. I know, I thought I was going to see him today, and he, yeah. uh, he disappeared. I would, I would definitely send him a message. He's like, where the hell are you? I just want to know. Don't update that thing, because uh, this, this, this American Legion uh, used to be like on Tuesdays at 8, and then it changed to Sunday at 4, and then, uh, I don't know. It's we're, still we're one just... of the best open mics, man, for the 10-minute sets. Yeah. Man. It's I, I actually want to know when it is now. It's worth the drive out here for 10 minutes. Uh. Yes, always. I did the one, and I know you and I have talked about this. We used to do the one at the Marshall's Tavern. Yeah, yeah. And that was that was a drive Yeah. for that 10-minute set, but it was worth that 10 minutes every Sometime. time, man. Yeah. Some Sometimes. Weird ones. Sometimes so, it would, the stars were aligned. I feel like particularly in October when the weather gets a little better, it's a little cooler, then that show starts to really pop. Yes. 
I went to one of his out and even in December, and you, you know, I usually don't like going out in December because everybody's concentrating on Christmas. Yeah, And yeah. even I was there one night, had the time off, and that was even a good show. And I was so shocked by how good of a show that was for a December night. Right. So it was. I do miss that sometimes, man. But you're right. Hot weather. Not a lot of people coming outside. I know. Mm-hmm. My titties be sweating on me. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Roderick McDaniel. His albums are live in the 806 came out 2010 mind to business 2021 they're both available on spotify i'll have a link tree in the show notes um and i'll be uh if you go to aircolorbox.com i got uh <coughs> i'll be at secret group in houston the 23rd and the 24th or the 22nd and 23rd and then i'll be in new jersey in september at the comedy dojo in morris plains <coughs> new jersey we have a sponsor for the podcast ACBD Remedy. Go to acbdremedy.com. Buy yourself some cannabis oil. My favorite is for pain and inflammation. Take a little dropper at nighty time for sleepy sleepies. Uh, use code name Eric for 20% off. Thanks, my guest, Roderick McDaniel. Thank you, mate. All right. Bye bye, everybody.